The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. My eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold, and I know how I ought to be alive. Dry eyes, hard heart, faith that's old, cold prayers. What's the cause? Where has the joy gone? I was sent this morning a text from a precious brother. I want to read it for you. First Peter one eight, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, you believe, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And then he quotes this song. I want to read the words. I have found the joy no tongue can tell how its waves of glory roll. It's like a great overflowing well springing up within my soul. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable, full of glory. Oh, the half has never yet been told. So, why the dry eyes? Why the faith that is old? Why the hard heart? Why the cold prayers? In simplest terms, it's because of backsliding backsliding steals the joy of the Lord from our hearts. And the backsliding has to be turned around. It has to be repented of because in repentance comes the joy of the Lord. Comes the peace. Comes the prayer that's alive and vibrating and earnest. The children of Israel have been at Mount Sinai and they have listened as the God of heaven has spoken to them those incredible ten words. The people saw the thunder, the lightning, they heard the trumpet. 
They saw the mountain in smoke and they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, speak to us yourself. We will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Well, God called Moses up. He began to speak with Moses additional laws. He told Moses, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard, to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place that I prepared. He told him, worship the Lord your God and his blessings will be on your food and on your water. I'll take away sickness from among you and none of you will miscarry or be barren in your land. I'll give you a full lifespan. And then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. I want to meet with you. They were to worship at a distance, however. Moses alone was to approach the Lord personally. The others were not to come near, yet the fire of the Lord might break out and consume them. So they went up on the mountain. They ate in the presence of the Lord. And then Moses went down to the people they sacrificed fellowship offerings, not atonement offerings, fellowship offerings. And of course, that meant they could use the meat and they served it. But Moses took the blood from those fellowship offerings and he sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. They said, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. They went up and they ate and drank in the presence of the Lord. And then we find in chapter 31 that the Lord is finalizing the plans with Moses for what he wants to do for the children of Israel, that he might dwell among them. And he began to talk with Moses about the Sabbath. Remember, we've spoken much this week about the Sabbath. It is the most precious of the Ten Commandments. It expresses most fully the heart of God, that he wants time with us. He wants to come and share with us. He wants us to share with him. He wants us to come into his presence. He wants us to fellowship with him. And that's when, as Moses is up on the mountain, that the people grow impatient. And they backslide. They turn to paganism. They turn to wickedness. I want to share with you today a part of, of what John Bunyan says about this. Remember, Pilgrim's Progress was first published in 1678. I mean, this is an old book. And what he's sharing with us here is ancient wisdom. It is very detailed on what causes backsliding. I want to read a portion for you. Did you know a man named 
temporary who lived in your parts about ten years ago? Christian asked. He was a devotedly religious religious man back then. Hopeful replied, Oh, yes, I did know him. He lived in the town of Graceless, about two miles away from the town of Honesty. He lived next to Mr. Turnback. Right, Christian said. Those two lived under the same roof. Well, that man at one time was much awakened to the seriousness of his own sin and the wages that were due them. I think you're right. For my house was only three miles from him, and he would often come to visit me when in distress, and he would be full of tears. Truly, I pitied the man and was not altogether without hope for him. But then again, not everyone who cries, Lord, Lord. Well, Christian went on. He told me once that he was resolved to go on pilgrimage as we are now. But all of a sudden, he grew acquainted with Mr. Serve Self, and then he became a stranger to me. Since we're talking about him, let's discuss the reasons why he and others like him suddenly backslide. Well, that would be a profitable discussion. Go ahead, you begin. Well, then... There are, in my judgment, four reasons for it, hopefully asserted. The first reason would be that, though the conscience of such a man is awakened, his mind is not changed. Thus, when the power of guilt fades away, and those things that provoked him to think about religious things... When they stop, they naturally turn to their own course again. It's like the sick dog who vomits what he's eaten and he casts it all out, not because he has a mind to do so, but only because his stomach is upset. When the upset stomach goes away, the dog returns to his vomit and licks it up. And so it is true. It is written the dog is turned to his own vomit again. I conclude that if they are longing for heaven only by virtue of their fear of the torments of hell, then is their sense of hell and the fears of damnation chill and cool, so do their desires for heaven and salvation. They cool also. So then it comes to pass that when their guilt and fear are gone, Their desires for heaven and happiness die, and they return to their former ways again. I watch this time after time in the life of people that I try to witness to. A message spoken on this broadcast awakens them, or personal contact awakens them to their condition and they begin to be very fearful and they begin to feel very guilty about their wickedness. But as time goes by, the guilt fades away. And they say, well, Pastor, that's that's just how it is. I'm a sinning Christian. And no longer are they deeply concerned about their spiritual condition, even though they had been awakened. Now they cast it off because the guilt is gone. I mean, which of us has not sinned against the Lord? And immediately after the sin, a great overwhelming sense of guilt floods in upon the soul. This is particularly true of things like sexual sin. A man texted me and said, I've sinned against the Lord sexually. And he was in the depths of despondency and despair. I don't know if I'm even saved. He was in the full-blown feeling of guilt. But then, after a period of time, all of the things he said he was going to do, 
when he was in the throes of guilt, are cast aside, and it's now back to business as usual. Until the next time he sins, and there will be a next time, and a next time, and a next time. Why? Because he's never changed his mind about his sin. He's never changed his mind. He's never, by faith, taken a hold of Jesus Christ and entered into the joy of the Lord where you know in your spirit there is not going to be a next time. Because when the next time comes, you know you're going to stand firm in Jesus Christ, you're not going to waver, and you're not going to give way. You're just not going to do it. Because you know now you have tasted once again of the joy of the Lord, and in the rejoicing in your heart. And I went down to my living room this morning and I sat on the couch just to be with Jesus. And I began to rejoice in in how he's leading me, how he's providing for me. You know, I recognize... I can't provide for this radio broadcast. This is something the Lord has to do. He has to move in people's hearts and cause them to give or we'll be off the air. I can't do that anymore. I can't ask people to give. The Holy Spirit has to ask you to give. I was just rejoicing in the faithfulness of brothers and sisters. One brother this morning sent his normal gift that he sends every month, right on time, the 16th of every month, and I just rejoiced. You see, I know where I stand. I stand in Jesus. I've made up my mind. It's not an emotional choice. It didn't come about because I was terrified of the Lord and I was terrified of going to hell. Even though if I spent time thinking about that, it would raise real tension in my soul because I don't want to go there. I want to be with Jesus. But I've made up my mind in my in my cold-blooded, this is what I'm going to do and I'm on my way and the power of the Holy Spirit is dwelling in me and I know I'm Jesus loves me, and I know I love him, and I'm not going to violate that love. I'm not going to turn aside to wickedness. I made that decision. Well, there's a second reason for backsliding that that Pastor Bunyan gives us. This is found on page 208. The second reason for backsliding is that they have slavish fears that control them. I'm talking about the fears they have of men. For the fear of man brings a snare. So then, though they seem to long earnestly for heaven while the flames of hell are about their ears, yet when the terror is over, they have second thoughts. They begin to think, that it's good to be wise in a worldly sense and not to run the hazard of losing it all, or at the very least of of bringing themselves into avoidable and unnecessary troubles because of their fear of what man might do to an honest pilgrim. They fall in and walk with the world again. They look like the world again. They act like the world again. Oh, but they're Christians. They're on their way to heaven, but they've backslidden. And the joy of the Lord is no longer in their spirit or in their heart because sin steals the joy from our hearts. Now he gave a third reason. The next reason for backsliding is the shame that attends true faith in Jesus. 
which makes it a stumbling block to them. They're proud, and they're haughty, and they consider true religion to be low and contemptible when they have lost their sense of hell and wrath to come, they quickly return to their former course, following the ways of the flesh, of the human nature. And then fourth, lastly, the guilt and terror that comes to mind as they consider their own miserable condition is something that grieves them but it does not cause them to fly to Jesus for safety. No, instead it causes them to try to avoid all such terrible thoughts. When they're awakening to the tears and the wrath of God fade away, then they choose ways that will harden them to any such awakening in the future. Christian said to Hopeful, you've summed it up pretty well. At at the bottom of it all is the simple truth that these men never change their will or their mind. That is, they never truly repent. They're like a criminal who stands before the judge, quaking and trembling. He sees so, he seems to so genuinely repent, but at the bottom of it all, he's afraid he's going to be sent to prison. There's no real remorse. There's no real sorrow for his crime against the Lord. If he's set free, he will return to his criminal activity. If his mind had truly been changed, he would stop being a criminal. Now that I've shown you the reasons for their backsliding, show me the manner in which they do it. Okay. The backsliders resist all thoughts of God, of death, and of judgment to come. Thus, to continue this resistance, they begin by degrees to cast off private duties, such as closet prayer, curbing their lust, watching their souls, grieving over their sin, and the like. They also begin to shun the company of lively and warm Christians. I've experienced this so many times. As I find people who have been awakened to their true condition and they seem to repent, and they seem earnest to be desirous for Jesus. But then they begin to return to the same old, same old. And now they want to shun my company because they know I'm going to ask them questions. I'm going to ask them questions. What's Jesus saying to you now? Well, he's just saying endure. He's not talking to me. Oh, when Jesus stops talking to you, that's when your heart grows hard and your eyes grow dim. That's when your faith gets old. Your prayers are cold. Because you don't have a day-by-day refreshing in the presence of the Lord. I could not last one day without hearing from the Almighty God of Heaven, without fellowshipping with Jesus, without reading His Word, and letting his word be quickened to me. I had so many different ideas about the way to approach this subject today. And finally, I went before the Lord and I said, Lord, these are all the things you're talking to me about, but I have no idea how to order them in some kind of sequential way that will make sense to the people who will be listening today. Would you please order it? Instantly, the Holy Spirit spoke. He said, do this, then go here, and then go there. Yes, sir. And so you're receiving now the product of what the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart in refreshing me as I waited before him today. 
But if you begin to cast off that private prayer, you begin to stop trying to curb the lust of your heart, but instead go to the YouTube and the and the games, the television, the movies. You stop grieving over your sin. Your heart becomes hard. And you want to shun the company of anybody who's going to ask you questions and confront you with, with what is Jesus saying to you and, and what is the condition of your heart? We owe it to one another to ask the question, is Jesus speaking anything to you today? The brother who sent me this beautiful text that I read at the beginning about joy, I said to him, is the Lord saying anything to you about me? Well, no, but I have some impressions. And yesterday he shared with me those impressions and they were most helpful. We encourage one another. I said to him as our conversation ended, you have been so encouraging to me today. I'm so grateful for people who speak the encouraging word of God full of joy and peace and love. Everything in this Christian walk operates by love in faith. Everything operates that way. Now, Bunyan goes on, after this mostly private resistance, then they go cold to their public duties, such as hearing the word of God preached. They're not interested in listening to the reading of the Bible. They no longer desire earnestly to assemble together with other Christians, so they start to abandon the assembly. You know, a man who who doesn't want to come to church. Why? He just wants to be at home. Why? Because he doesn't want the piercing word of God to convict him. He thinks he's okay. He thinks he's on his way to heaven. But his heart's cold. Having abandoned the fellowship of the saints, that's why the devil was so clever in causing the church to close during COVID. That was such a foolish decision on the part of pastors. Such a foolish decision. Nowhere in Scripture will you find a justification for that. When the people of God stop assembling together and decide that they're going to go on the Internet and watch church from home, they are now in a backslidden condition. They no longer are going to have the warmth and the joy of the Lord in their hearts. It's a serious, serious problem. Oh, but you say, Pastor, the government said we had to close. Oh, but they didn't say Walmart had to close. They didn't say Costco had to close. They didn't say liquor stores had to close. They were essential. And you let the government say to you, church, that you're not essential? What's wrong with you? It's idiocy. It's insanity. It comes out of a cold heart. It comes out of a desire to please the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what Bunyan's talking about. Having abandoned the fellowship of the saints, they then begin to draw close and associate themselves with fleshly, loose, greedy, lewd, and unruly men. The new company tempts, tempts them to give into the flesh and lewd practices. At first in secret, they're glad if they can find any fault or sin in those who once they once considered honest, using them as an example to justify their own sins. And after this season of private sin, they begin to slowly 
live in open sin. Finally then, becoming hardened, they show themselves for what they are. And then they're launched into the gulf of misery. And unless a miracle of grace prevents it, they will perish forever in their own deceit. Do you hear what I'm saying today? Don't backslide. Don't give yourself permission to turn aside from Jesus or from his church or from fellowship. Now, I want to turn in the scriptures in the time we have left I want to take you to Galatians, the fifth chapter. In the freedom, then, in which Christ made us free, you must stand firm, and you must not be entangled by a yoke of bondage again. He's speaking about the bondage of all of the old laws, not the Ten Commandments, but the old ceremonial laws, laws of food, clean and unclean, of being circumcised in the flesh. He's saying that circumcision of the flesh is not going to profit you anything, but rather you must be circumcised in the Spirit by Jesus. Now, he says in verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working by means of love. Joy comes out of love. It's very difficult to be joyful when we have no sense of being loved. I've struggled with that. The greatest pain of my life was when I lost my precious wife to cancer. She was no longer there to express in a myriad of ways the wonderful love she had for me and that I could express to her the wonderful love that was put in my heart by Jesus to share with her. That's part of why the Lord gives couples to each other to express that love. Not to fight, not with bitterness, not with hatred, but but an opportunity to share that incredible love. But now what I've learned in the years since Jan's passing, and it's been now 11 years this year, I've learned much more deeply the love of Jesus. So this morning I began to feel very earnestly that lack of of Jan. And as I began to sense that, I did what I now regularly do. I turned to Jesus and I began to pray. And I said, Jesus, the love you have for me is sweeter than even that which Jan had. No one can replace the love that Jesus has for us. And joy wells up in our heart when we begin to sense the love that Jesus has for us. Verse 13, this is Galatians 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use freedom as an occasion for the flesh, but you must serve one another through love. That's why we have the church. For the entire law is fulfilled in one word. In this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you act spitefully toward one another and cause divisions, you must take heed, lest you may be destroyed by one another. Another translation says, If you bite one another, you will destroy each other. 
I've sat with many wives and husbands, tried to turn their hearts toward Jesus instead of biting each other, judging each other, defending themselves against each other. It's all utter insanity. It's all it's all of the flesh. It's not of the Lord. Now I say, this is verse 16, Galatians five sixteen. Now I say, you must walk in the Spirit, and you absolutely cannot follow the lust of the flesh, i.e. fallen nature. Now the, the fallen nature, the, the flesh, lusts against the Spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And there is, after you're converted, this war that goes on in your soul between your natural desires and the spirit of God. But a time comes when that flesh is destroyed by the spirit of God. John Wesley called that entire sanctification. Some have called it a second work of grace. It's accomplished the same way conversion is accomplished. It's just a deeper form of that conversion. It's done by faith in Jesus. It's not a work of my own heart. It's coming to Jesus with an open heart and open hands and full confession and asking him to totally put away this fallen nature that's in me. Now the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Indeed, these things oppose each other so that you may not do these things that you may desire. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, what the Lord showed me this morning is the connection between verse 18 and verse 19. I want to share this with you. It's something that I've known but never seen before. You know, it is such a joy to read the scriptures and always be finding those new gems of truth that open your mind and you begin to see in a much deeper way what the Lord is saying to you. Now, the works of the flesh, this is verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are manifestations. I want you to catch this. What is a manifestation? It's an outward working out of something that is on the inside. It is a manifestation. It is a demonstration. It is an example of what is on the inside of a man's heart. And these manifestations he now begins to identify. And if you have any of these manifestations in your life, you may be very sure that you are walking in the flesh and not in the Spirit of God. You're walking in a hard heart, dry eyes, faith that is old. Your prayers are cold. The first thing listed is adultery. You're married, and somehow that person at work seems so much more attractive than the wife you have at home or the husband you have at home. And so you begin to bond with that person emotionally. That's emotional adultery. Or you take it even further and the two of you go off and have a sexual experience together. That's adultery. That's a manifestation of of you giving way and backsliding. And your joy is now stolen. Now the guilt rises up. The condemnation rises up. And you can push it down And you can put it away and you can keep doing it and then the time will come when you stop feeling guilty. But now you're very distant from the Lord. 
fornication. Some of you are shacked up with somebody you're not married to. And at first you felt guilty, and every once in a while, maybe even listening to this broadcast, the arrows of the Holy Spirit will pierce your heart, and you'll say, I know it's wrong, but I can't break it. Yes, you can. It's called repentance. What you are forfeiting is joy, freedom, peace, love. The third thing listed is uncleanness. Perversion. Indecency. Some of you dress indecently. You know you shouldn't wear that outfit. You know you shouldn't be put on putting on that heavy makeup and that exotic jewelry. You know you're trying to draw attention to yourself by that hairstyle. I'm a I'm astounded by people who color their hair purple or green or red. I'm astonished. What's wrong with what God gave you? Why are you dressing in a sexually suggestive way, trying to draw attention to yourself? This goes for men and women both. Why do you have those tattoos all over your body? It's indecent. It's ugly. It's reprehensible. It is a manifestation of the natural flesh man or woman ruling over you. Idolatry. Allowing anything to be more important to you than Jesus Christ. That's called idolatry. Witchcraft. In the lust of your heart, you want that new car, and so you begin to make positive affirmations. That car belongs to me. You put a picture up on the refrigerator. That car belongs to me. And you begin to use positive affirmations to try to force the spirit realm to give you what your heart desires. That's witchcraft, by definition. Or you go into occultism. You go into the tarot cards. Or you go into the the stars, the astrologies. You read your horoscope every day. If you're reading your horoscope every day, you are practicing witchcraft. And you will have dry eyes and a hard heart. You will have faith that is old and dead. Your prayers will be cold. Because you are turning your back on Jesus Christ. Hatred. Discord. Jealousies. Outbursts of wrath. Strife. Dissensions. I know some people who just joy in dissenting and taking the position that they have the truth and you don't. And so they always dissent from you. They don't bring love to you. They they say, oh, I love you, I love you. But they're always biting you. And then they wonder why you don't want to spend time with them. Because they are always dissenting. That's a manifestation of a fleshly, wicked heart. I don't like to be with people who are always coming up with discord, dissensions. There's nothing that will destroy a church faster than having people who are whispering behind your back and creating discord in the lives and the hearts of the believers. It'll cause, eventually, a church blow-up and a church split. False teachings. 
like the sinning Christian. That wicked teaching that you can never stop sinning, you're always going to be a sinner, that wicked teaching totally denigrates the blood of Jesus Christ to be the same as the blood of bulls and goats in the Old Covenant. It is stepping underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ. Envy, murders. Remember Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother without cause, you're a murderer. Drunkenness, revelries, and things similar to these. Which things I told you before, even as I said before, that the ones practicing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot be a constant troublemaker and go into the kingdom of heaven. The devil was the accuser. He was a troublemaker. And he stole the joy of those who followed him. And his joy was stolen. But now I want to point you to the fruit, not the fruits, not plural. This is singular. Of the Spirit in love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. But look at the facets of this love. This comes to the man or woman who truly makes a decision to repent. That is, yes, I feel guilty. I have done this. It was wrong. But then comes, after you weather through that, a deep inner conviction. I'm not going there again. I'm not going to go there again. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to say it anymore. I'm not going to act on this again. I'm going to walk clean before God. Now, as you make that determination, here is what is going to begin to happen in your life. You're going to experience the love of Jesus Christ. And you're going to begin to spread that love to others. Joy will rise up in your heart. A man, a pagan man said to me, Ray, I don't have any joy in my life. What am I going to have to do to get joy in my life? I said to him, joy is a byproduct. You can't go to the store and buy joy. It comes as a result of something else. Now, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. All of these are manifestations of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Do you have the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you have the person, not the influence, the person of the Holy Spirit? The scriptures teach that the Holy Spirit is a person. He has a personality. If you have the person of the Holy Spirit in your life, these will be the manifested evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Love, self-sacrificing love, agape, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. All of these manifestations will be flowing in your life everywhere you go, in your family, with your wife, with your husband. You will not be constantly causing turmoil. You won't be arguing. You won't always be raising your dissensions. The overwhelming flow of your heart will be manifest by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Backsliding 
is when you give way to the lust of your heart. Now fear, uncleanness, discord, wrath, strife, dissensions, false teachings, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, all of these things begin to flow out of you. At first, just a little, and then more and more, until finally, you have religion, and it's ugly, and nobody wants what you have, because you don't have any joy. You don't have the manifestations of peace and patience and kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that come to us when we repent. If you want these things to be flowing in your heart, turn aside from everything that is of darkness. Seek the face of Jesus and determine in your heart that you will belong to Jesus Christ. And you will not turn to the left or to the right. You will walk straight ahead. And such joy will fill your heart. It says, in fact, now he's going to be very logical. In fact, the ones who are of Christ crucified the flesh and the passions and the lusts. If we live in the Spirit, we should also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I mean, don't go around provoking other people. Speak the truth, but speak it in love. That's why my father in the faith, David Wilkerson, at the very beginning, as he took me under his wing, shook his finger in my face. Never forget it. And he said to me, Brother Ray, preach judgment with mercy. <laughs> preach judgment with mercy. Oh, our Lord is a merciful Lord. He is filled with love and compassion. And his joy fills our hearts when we walk with him. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. Tomorrow will be a day of prayer. I invite you to call tomorrow and pray on air with us. It will be a prayer meeting. You're welcome to write to me. I would love to hear from you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're also welcome to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. And there you'll find podcasts, you'll find all kinds of gifts from Jesus to help you in this journey. My brother, my sister, I love you. Walk in the joy of the Lord, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. God bless you guys.